Good morning, church. It is a beautiful day to worship the Lord and gather. Uh, it's certainly an honor for me to be up here to be able to preach the word to you this morning. And I'm very much excited and looking forward to it. Uh, for those of you who are new, uh, maybe this is the first time you're coming here. My name is David Lundberg. Uh, I'm a deacon here at GCF. And um, just under the mentorship of Jeff, our senior pastor, uh, for preaching. And so don't worry, we do have a, a lead pastor if you are new here. <laughs> um, so we're back in Mark 12 this morning, which is still taking place in Jerusalem on the Wednesday of Passion Week. We've kind of slowed down here in the text. And last week was the first of what essentially is three rounds where different religious leaders are taking turns trying to shut Jesus down. And this morning we're going to look at Round two, as Jesus encounters the Sadducees, who we actually meet for the first time here in Mark. And just a heads up, we will be in Deuteronomy chapter 25 a little later. So if you want to dog ear your Bible or bookmark it ahead of time, feel free to do that. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 25. Uh, so if you have your Bibles and are able, please stand with me here for the reading of God's word this morning. This is Mark chapter 12, verses 18. Through 27. And the Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised... Have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. You may be seated. This is God's word for us this morning. Will you please pray with me here before we jump in? Father, Lord, we, um, we come to you in great need this morning, Lord, and just me standing up here, I confess my, my great need, uh, my inability to be able to exposit your word, to explain your word just in my flesh, but by your grace, because of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is in me, and Lord, and I firmly, firmly Feel him and believe that this is his message this morning to your people. Thank you for just being gracious enough to leave us teachers and pastors to share your word with your people as a means to feed us and to keep us healthy. And God, I do pray that you would open our, our eyes to see you more this morning, that you would open our ears to hear your word rightly. And if I get in the way at all, God, I pray that it wouldn't even be noticed, Lord, that you would remove any distraction from your people so that we, we may rightly hear from you this morning. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, since she was a toddler, Stacy developed this strange addiction to only eating chicken nuggets. Amen. <laughs> the problem is, though, is she loved them so much that for the next 15 years of her life, she would consume nothing but chicken nuggets. And she would even go on to boast about never of ever tasting fresh fruits or vegetables. And despite several warnings by her doctors to adopt a healthier diet at the age of 17, she was at work one day and she started struggling with her breathing and eventually collapsed. We all know the saying that ignorance is bliss, right? But it seems that if you ignore actual problems that can directly affect you, that it doesn't lead to bliss. It leads to grave consequences. Perhaps some of you can recall a time in your life where ignorance didn't really gently land you into the land of bliss, but rather dumped you off into the land of poor decision-making, poor actions, which led to grave consequences. Well, this morning I want to make a case that just as nutritional ignorance can put our bodies at risk, biblical ignorance can put our souls at risk. And this will be the main focus that I draw out of the text this morning, and it really comes in the form of a warning. Biblical ignorance can lead you astray. Biblical ignorance can lead you astray. It's obviously no secret how important it is that we understand nutrition, right? So that our bodies can function the way that they're supposed to. We need carbohydrates so that we can have energy, and we need proteins to build up muscle in our bodies so that way we can have strength to move around. We need minerals and vitamins to help ward off infections and disease. Well, likewise, it's important that Christians understand the scriptures in order to nourish their soul so that way we can be the way God intended us to be. As carbs energize the body, the Psalms say that God's word revives the soul. As proteins build up muscle in the body, God's word strengthens us in righteousness so that we may be complete and equipped for every good work. And as minerals and vitamins help fight off infection and disease, God's word protects us from false teachings, from worldly ideologies that can creep in to infect us, harm us, lead us astray. So healthy Christian development requires God's word. And not just little snack-sized portions of it here and there. No, we need a complete and balanced diet of all of God's word. So Christian health essentially then relies on understanding nutrient-rich doctrines like sin, God's holiness, covenants, the doctrines of grace, the work of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a good one to know. If you neglect understanding doctrines like these, then you're, you're essentially being like a believer who spends very little time in the word. And you're spiritually living off of chicken nuggets as your diet, leaving your soul malnourished and at great risk of peril. See, ignorance can lead us astray. And this morning, we'll see how biblical ignorance led the Sadducees to the folly of challenging Jesus theologically, attempting to discredit him. Like watching someone who only eats chicken nuggets try to outsmart a nutritionist 
These biblically malnourished religious leaders go toe-to-toe in a theological standoff with the living word himself. Now, I'm not going to tell you who wins because I want to keep the suspense factor pretty high this morning. So no spoiler alerts here. (laughs) But just as easy as it is to to hear this and look back on judgment and wonder how foolish these Sadducees must have been. Like, what were they thinking to challenge Jesus theologically? Well, the truth is that we can harbor the same tendencies within our own hearts. It may just look different. In fact, I would dare say that it's possible that we may be even more foolish and stubborn today. Have you ever heard a professing Christian say something like, the Jesus I follow wouldn't say or do that? I know the Bible says it, but that was a cultural issue back then, and things have changed. Well, my God is a God of love, and he would have never have done what it says in that text. Statements like these place people in the ring with Jesus to challenge his theology, just as these Sadducees did. And we'll learn more about this here later on. And sadly, there are many out there who claim Christianity who have a lot to say when it comes to theology, but yet they rarely study their Bible or only focus on little snack-sized verses. Unfortunately, based on recent studies and surveys, America is in a Bible literacy crisis. We are in this today. And interesting enough, this crisis is not due to a lack of God's word as it was in the 16th century that led to the Protestant Reformation. See, the 20th century alone produced more Bible translations than at any other time in human history. And due to the advances of technology here in the 21st century, the Bible has now become digitized. It can be accessed on any device, from anywhere in the world. This in turn means that today we have more access to scripture than at any other point in history. And it's estimated that 88% of American households own a Bible, with each household having up to four Bibles per home. We're inundated with God's word today. Yet studies are showing this massive decline year over year in biblical literacy. So what is going on? It was recently reported that over 40% of regular church attendees read their Bible occasionally. And occasionally was defined as once or twice a month. And that one in five churchgoers say that they never read their Bible at all. One New Testament scholar comments, Christians used to be known as people of one book. They memorized it, meditated on it, talked about it, and taught it to others. We don't do that anymore. And in a very real sense, we're starving ourselves to death. So church, if you were to examine yourself this morning, go into the doctor's office for a physical, how healthy is your diet of God's word? Are you getting into it? Are you seeking to understand it in its fullness? Or is your diet perhaps unbalanced where your theology only comes from the Catchy verses you can find on knickknacks in a craft store. Or maybe you can relate your biblical diet to that of just junk food where all your theology is coming from things outside of the Bible that are sweet to the taste or fun, engaging. Things like music, podcasts, movies. If this is what your diet looks like, then despite what you may look like on the outside, you may be in a very unhealthy place on the inside and maybe in great danger. 
Biblical ignorance can lead you astray. And we're seeing this all around us today as Christians and churches are falling these cultural pressures of our time, right? We're seeing them embrace human ideologies on matters like church, homosexuality, divorce, abortion, marriage, social justice, gender identity and equality. And I would say that in conjunction with Satan, in partnership with Satan, biblical ignorance is the culprit. One theologian rightly says, 100% of the theological errors that we make are because we don't know the scriptures. We all read the same book, but we do not always agree on what the book teaches because we do not take the time to truly understand it. Every believer should strive with all of their might to have a sound knowledge of the word of God, lest we hear the same rebuke from Jesus. You are greatly mistaken because you do not know the word of God. You are greatly mistaken because you don't know the word of God. See, this is a direct rebuke from Jesus to the Sadducees that we find in our text this morning. And this is what I'm using as our driving focus in this passage. So feel free to highlight or underline verse 24 if you'd like. Now, one thing that I think needs clarification before we dive further into the text is that when I stand up here and I say biblical ignorance, it's with an emphasis on deliberate ignorance, right? Stubborn ignorance, namely those who have no intention or desire to further understand the scriptures, like we'll see here in a bit with these Sadducees. You see, they're stubborn. They're not asking legitimate questions They feel like they already know what they need to know, and they don't care to explore any more of God's word. So what's not in focus this morning are newer believers who have a lot of questions and still very, very little answers. Drinking from the fire hose. Or maybe any Christian who feels like they're not as polished up on doctrine as they'd like to be. And I think most of us in here can probably share the sentiment quite often. And that's okay, because that's the kicker. See, there's pursuit. We're seeking. There's a desire to better know God through the scriptures. And seeking, while still not understanding, is okay. It's a healthy Christian discipline, and that's not what's in focus when I talk about biblical ignorance. Nor was it the focus that Jesus had as he rebuked these Sadducees. So, okay, I have three points this morning that I want to highlight as we walk through the text. First point is biblical ignorance can lead you astray because it fosters bad doctrine. Biblical ignorance can lead you astray because it fosters bad doctrine. Now, it's important that we know who the Sadducees were to better understand their motive in asking Jesus what seems to be a very, very bizarre question about multiple marriages and the resurrection. Now, the Sadducees are not to be confused with the Pharisees as they're very different, contrary to what many may assume. As Jeff mentioned last week how the Pharisees opposed the Herodians, the same could be said regarding the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They hated each other. And for good reason when you consider all these hot-button topics that they differed on. I have a slide that I prepared that shows the differences. John, do you want to put that slide up for me? Um... It really helps to understand, like, they differ on pretty big doctrines, like the resurrection, the afterlife, the spiritual realm of angels and demons. They differed on God's sovereignty in the world, how involved he was with his creation. See, Pharisees were known to be middle-class teachers, 
that were really involved with the Jewish commoners. They would teach them often in the synagogues. But the Sadducees were aristocratic, upper-class priests who really didn't want anything to do with the Jewish commoner other than rip them off and steal their money in the temple. That's about as much interaction as they wanted with them. See, their interests, the Sadducees' interests, were only in the affairs of the wealthy, which looked like engaging in politics with the Roman government. Oh, did they love Rome because Rome made them rich. So they, they, they supported Roman policies, whereas the Pharisees rejected them, and they greatly opposed Rome. And this is why we're just now being introduced to the Sadducees here in Mark. You see, they had very little concern over what Jesus was teaching to these Jewish commoners in the synagogues. They could care less. Because these synagogues were managed by the Pharisees. And you see, the the Sadducees were the ones who ran the temple. Well, Jesus eventually found his way into the temple, didn't he? (laughs) And it was then when he started threatening their money schemes and tossing around tables maybe posing up a risk to stir up controversy with the Romans who made the Sadducees very wealthy, it was then that they finally decided to take an interest in confronting Jesus. So last week we learned that the Pharisees tried to make Jesus look like an insurrectionist by asking questions about who to pay taxes to. And now this week the Sadducees are going to try to make Jesus look like a fool. They want to discredit him. Their hopes are just to completely publicly publicly discredit him and his ministry. But this results in Jesus sternly rebuking the Sadducees, telling them that they're wrong because they don't know the scriptures. But these were religious leaders, so was it as if they never read any scripture at all? I mean, weren't these religious leaders known for fervently studying and memorizing the Old Testament? Well, see, the problem was that they never read the scripture It was that they only read a small portion of it. See, they were ignorant to the full counsel of the scriptures, and this resulted in fostering bad doctrine. And church, this will always foster bad doctrine because it leaves you with missing pieces to the puzzle. So the Sadducees only followed Moses' writings found in the first five books of the Bible. This is known as the Torah or the Pentateuch. As a result of only following the Torah, they rejected all the other scriptures of the Old Testament. And this led to them being wrong about so many big doctrines like the resurrection and the afterlife. And our text confirms this right at the beginning of verse 18. It says, And the Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. If you grew up attending children's Sunday school, then you would remember that they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the things that brought you hope, like heaven or the resurrection. See, they didn't see it in the Torah, and since Moses never taught on it, well, then it couldn't possibly be true to them. I think this is significant. See, because if we're not disciplined, then we can be at risk of falling into the same way of thinking. We all have our favorite passages. We all have our favorite theologians, our favorite teachers to learn from our favorite doctrines that we love to camp in and study. And heck, logic says, if we like it, stay the course, right? But Stacy really liked her chicken nuggets, therefore neglecting all the other foods that her body needed to be healthy. See, church, we need the full counsel of God's word to be healthy Christians. We must have it. Think of the Bible as this complete meal that God has graciously prepared for us. As our creator, he knows what we need. So he's prepared this healthy spread 
that provides every nutrient, every vitamin that we could ever need to properly nourish the whole of us, every part of us. Now, I know I'll have some amens in here for this, but I hate vegetables. And when I say vegetables, (laughs) I mean like vegetables, like the ones that really actually matter and do things for you. And it's totally not fair, and it has to be part of the fall, that the vegetables I do like are really good with butter, but are the ones that everyone's like, yeah, those still aren't good for you. Like potatoes and carrots. Like, what the heck? You have kale diets. Why can't you just have a mashed potato with bacon and sour cream diet, you know? So while it's hard for me to incorporate the good vegetables, like greens, Which is still not, why can't lettuce, like, have nutrition value, you know? I I like lettuce. But why it's hard for me to get these greens into my diet, I know that I need them. I have to think hard, and how do I get these into me? So, yes, it's okay to have passages that we love and that we love to snack on, but we need the variety of all the other passages. Church, we need the passages that we struggle to accept, We need to stare at those. We need passages that we don't understand. We got to wrestle with those. We need the passages that rebuke us. We need the ones that are hard to hear. And we need the mundane ones that we feel like we've heard a hundred times over and over. This is what it means to be Bereans. This is what it means to be people of one book. We should be feasting off of all of God's word. And today there's many groups Uh, that are like the Sadducees that only follow portions of God's word. We have red-letter Christians. These are groups of Christians, professing Christians, who will only adhere to and follow whatever is read in the Bible, whatever Jesus says, and that's it. We have Christians today who are unhitching from the Old Testament. We don't need the Old Testament. It's confusing. It's weird. It scares off church attendees, so we're just going to kind of dump it off and focus on the New Testament. We have Christians today who reject anything that Paul writes in the Bible because they believe that modern-day Christianity is really built off of Paul and his teachings, not Jesus Christ. So it's all around us. And so by denying the resurrection, these Sadducees developed a philosophy that you only have one life to live. And when you die, that's it. You're done. There's nothing more. You can imagine how convenient this became for them, right? As they they were motivated to just live it up as much as they could before they died. And it showed. So this is the danger and deception of this deliberate, stubborn ignorance that I spoke of earlier. The Sadducees had the entire Old Testament scrolls at their fingertips. They had access to it. That contained passages supporting the afterlife, the resurrection, found in the Psalms, Daniel, Job, but they rejected it. Oh, that we would be a church that craves a healthy diet of God's word. That we would be people of one book who are sound in doctrine so that we may rightly know our God. So biblical ignorance can lead you astray because it fosters bad doctrine. Well, next we see that it can lead you astray because it favors human logic. Biblical ignorance can lead you astray because it favors human logic. Well, now that we have a solid background on who these Sadducees were, let's dive in deeper into our text and look at the question that they asked Jesus. So this is in uh, verses 18 through 23. 
Mark 12, 18 through 23. And the Sadducees came to him who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us. Ah, see, there it is. Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. And the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as a wife. If you ever wanted to see deliberate ignorance put on display, we have it right here. As the Sadducees asked this absurd hypothetical question. You see, this is obviously not an honest question. They don't want to know more about the resurrection or trying to wrap their heads around it. No, this was a premeditated, well-thought-out plan as a means to trap and discredit Jesus. And they had the ace in the hole. They thought what they had as their best weapon against him, their wonderful human logic. See, God has given us logic to be used for good things, right? It helps us to reason and validate circumstances that we face. But see, where logic gets dangerous is at the very core of its purpose. Logic is used to validate things as to whether or not they can be true. It's meant to answer questions and solve problems. Logic tells us that if we spend more money than we earn, then what happens? We go into debt. Some of you were like, take out a loan. No, wrong. (laughs) We go into debt, so we should be on a budget. Well, where logic can go wrong is when we try to use it to validate the things of God. Flesh trying to logically make sense of spirit. You often hear that Christianity is a supernatural religion, which means it's above and beyond what we consider to be natural. But something to think about, and this is interesting, is this, is is what's natural to us natural to God? So this means that it's not healthy to build a theology off of our human logic Nor is human logic supposed to be a gap filler, to fill in gaps of doctrines that we just don't understand. I overheard a conversation one day where two believers were going back and forth discussing the possibility of a Christian losing their salvation. One of them said, I guess I never really thought about it before. But I guess it makes sense that you could because I knew a person who, and they went on to explain experiences they encountered that logically validated this assumption. What was disappointing for me was that there was no scripture brought into this discussion at all. Here's a wonderful conversation taking place, things that we should be talking about as Christians, but no Bibles were open. God didn't get to share his opinion. Think about all the people out there who make conclusions that the Bible can't be trusted simply because it's not logical. Right? It doesn't make sense. Therefore, it can't be true. How can a human be made from the dirt? How can a donkey speak other than in Shrek? How can a bush speak? How can a snake speak? How can a virgin bear a child? How can the dead live again? Scientifically, that's impossible. 
Well, the problem these Sadducees had with the resurrection is that it didn't logically make sense up against what they learned in their precious Torah. See, in their ignorance, they closed their mind to all the other Old Testament scriptures and instead were left to using their logic as a means to validate this doctrine of the resurrection. So they line up what Moses taught in the, uh, about leveret marriage from, of course, the Torah up against this resurrection to showcase how stupid it is, probably thinking it would be so obviously preposterous that it would make Jesus look like a complete fool in front of everybody. So turn with me uh, to Deuteronomy 25. We're going to be reading uh, verses 5 through 6. This will help us understand a bit more about what this leveret marriage is. Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 6. Laws concerning leveret marriage. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead man shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her and take her as his wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the first son whom she bears shall succeed to the name of his dead brother that his name may not be blotted out of Israel. That his name may not be blotted out of Israel. See, this instruction was known as leveret marriage. And that word leveret, essentially what it means is brother-in-law marriage. And this law was given in Deuteronomy with the intention to preserve a family line. It also preserved the inheritance if a woman lost her husband before they were able to have children. We see it played out in Genesis. We see it in Ruth. Passing on family lineage was very important to Israel because this is um, what would happen if a widow was left with no heir and she would be at risk of losing this entire estate as well as killing off permanently her husband's name. You can imagine the shame that that would bring. So as weird as it sounds, uh, this law was introduced to where she would then marry her, husband, her deceased husband's brother. So the Sadducees, they take this law and they pump it full of steroids to really belabor the point that they want to make. They weaponize this law in Deuteronomy and they throw it out as an absurd example of not just one instance where a woman has to marry her brother-in-law, but seven. It probably never even happened before. And church, if, if you already have your minds made up on specific doctrines without understanding what all of the Bible says about it, then your source of truth really is just your logic, not the word of God. And this can be dangerous. You see, biblical ignorance can lead you astray because it favors human logic. And if left with only human logic, then the supernatural just won't make sense. And this will rule out one of the most important things that is fundamental to Christian growth and Christian health. And this is uh, our last and third point. Biblical ignorance can lead you astray because it forgets God's power. Biblical ignorance can lead you astray because it forgets God's power. So we arrive at Jesus' response to these Sadducees' loaded question, and it's sobering as he first responds with a question of his own. See, he shifts the focus and jumps straight to the root of the issue with them. Read with me here in verse 24. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong? Because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? So Jesus quickly evades their trap and he counters with this strong rebuke that would make them look like the fools. 
He tells them that the reason they're wrong is because they don't know the scriptures or the power of God. It's worth taking a closer look at this word wrong, too, here in verse 24. You see, it doesn't just simply mean to be incorrect as we would think about it today. It's much deeper than that. It means to be deceived. You are quite deceived. It means to wander from truth. It means to be led astray. So he essentially is telling the Sadducees that their ignorance of the scriptures, notice it's plural, signifying all of scriptures, their ignorance of these scriptures has led them astray. They have wandered off. So as a result, they've strayed from God. Their doctrine is bad, their logic is flawed, and they have no clue what Jesus is even capable of. Let's read verses 25 through 27. Jesus is speaking here, answering their question. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He is not the God of the dead, but God of the living. You are quite wrong. You are quite deceived. You have been quite led astray. See, while the Sadducees thought that they had home field advantage here by bringing Jesus down to their level, holding him up against their truth, their logic, their doctrine, Jesus flips the script. He brings them up into his turf, revealing things to them that they never would have thought possible. And then Jesus doubled down his rebuke by not only confirming the resurrection, but he confirms that there are angels, another doctrine the Sadducees hated and rejected. He tells them that there won't be marriage in heaven, as we will be like the angels in the sense that they don't marry or procreate. And notice he didn't say we will be angels. He said we will be like angels. And lastly, Jesus tripled down his rebuke as he reveals to them that these things were right in front of them, their beloved Torah, the entire time. And they completely missed it. Ouch. With only a few short sentences, he proves them wrong on the resurrection, regarding angels, regarding marriage in heaven, and what's probably the hardest pill for them to swallow, their ignorance of this Torah that they so cherished and prided themselves on. So who are the fools now? Have you ever owned something for a while and realized that it has this hidden feature that you missed that completely blew your mind? You know, like after a couple years, (laughs) it does something. You're like, whoa, that could have made your life way easier if only you had read through the entire user manual the first day you got it. (laughs) All the men are like, yep, totally. (laughs) I don't read user manuals either. I was finishing a shed in my backyard a couple years ago, and I was my nail gun went out halfway through the project, so I went and got this brand new, beautiful framing nailer. And it was just as heavy as it was beautiful. And I'm up trying to nail the rafters, and I don't know where to put this thing. You know, it's hooked to the air hose. So I put it on my ladder, and I kick it off, and it goes clunking down to the ground. And I'm like, ah. So then I try to get smart, and I wrap the air hose around one of the rafters. And, of course, it slips and falls and smashes on the ground. I was getting so frustrated. I'm like, if only this stupid thing had a hook or something on it. Well, one day I was disconnecting the air hose, and I looked down, and there's like this little indention on the handle. I was like, that looks like it comes out. 
So I pull it out, and sure enough, this strong metal hook kind of pivots out of the handle. I was like, oh, wow. It literally changed my life. (laughs) But you know what else changed my life? Diving into the scriptures, right? Getting a robust understanding of the gospel as my wife and I first started attending GCF over at the central campus. You see, for years prior, I'd become a Christian who spent very little time studying the scriptures, and it showed. I didn't really know much other than the fact that Jesus loved me and he died for me. No doubt, that's a beautiful truth, but there was so much more at my fingertips that I just didn't want to take the time to learn. And then my mind was blown as I started learning about grace, that Jesus didn't just die for me because I finally got my act together and made myself worth saving. No, but instead, he died for me while I was this wretch who hated him, and I was running as fast as I could away from him. That Jesus pursued me. Kevin was talking about that during Sunday school this morning. That Jesus pursued me and did all the work in saving me, even while I had nothing to give back, no worth of my own. I learned about how his death fully absorbed the wrath of God that was meant for me, but it didn't just end there. See, Jesus didn't just die for my sins. An exchange happened where as he died for my sin, I got to absorb the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So I no longer have to work for God's approval because when God sees me, he sees his perfect son. And I learned that no one, not even myself, can pluck me from his hand. That by God's grace, he will preserve me to the end. As a good shepherd, he will look after me and he will continue to grow me as I eagerly await to be in heaven with him. So imagine knowing nothing about this and searching the scriptures and realizing these truths. They break you. They they make you rejoice and they make you want more and more and more. Could it be possible that you're missing out on what Jesus is capable of? Could it be possible that you're missing out on what his power can do for you? Have you forgotten? Maybe you do struggle with the idea of a resurrection. That it's hard to believe you will actually be in heaven one day for eternity in sinless perfection. Maybe you're stuck in a rut where human logic says that you're stuck for good and you ain't never getting out of this one. Maybe you've given up hope that the person you've been praying for for years will never come around and be saved. It's just impossible. See, the Sadducees had gone so long in their ignorance of Scripture that seemed to have greatly dulled their understanding of God's power. And it really shows when you look at their doctrine. I mean, they didn't believe the resurrection. They didn't believe that all the faithful before them, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, could ever live again. They didn't believe in the afterlife or any reward for themselves. They didn't even believe that God was was involved in the affairs of humans on earth. They thought it was like just a, a giant clock God made and wound it up and just let it go to see what would happen and walked away. See, without an understanding of God's power, we are then left to ourselves and our logic. What a sad and miserable place to be. Let me exhort and encourage you, dear brother or sister, that you can have hope because Christ has the power and he has the authority to make all things possible. He can make anything possible. 
And this hope comes from reading the scriptures. It's right there. And he's not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living, as he tells these Sadducees. He has raised Abraham. Abraham is alive and well with the Father. He's raised Isaac. He's raised Jacob from the dead. He can shatter our logic into a million pieces by doing things that will never make sense to us. He can make bushes speak. He can kill sin and resurrect the dead. He can cure cancer. He can secure your salvation. He can defeat your addiction. He can save that loved one that you've been praying for. And he can teach you more and more about himself and grow you in ways that you never thought possible as you seek him out in the scripture. See, the doctors later discovered that after Stacy collapsed, that her chicken nugget addiction left her severely deficient in essential vitamins that her body needed. This resulted in her having anemia and her tongue uh, swelled up and blocked her airways and that's what resulted into her passing out. So they pumped her full of vitamins while she was at the hospital and they sent her on her way. And sadly, despite this scare and further warnings from medical professionals, she had no regard to change anything and continued to move forward eating only chicken nuggets as her diet. Likewise, the Sadducees continued on in their ignorance and were blotted out of history after Rome destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. So brothers and sisters, let us never be this ignorant when it comes to knowing God through the scriptures. See, God has blessed us with so many resources so that we can learn. So get after it. Heed this warning this morning that biblical ignorance can foster bad doctrine, it can favor human logic, and it can forget God's power lest you too be led astray. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I just pray that these words land in the ears of all of us, God, I know that I've been wrestling and chewing on this as well this week uh, in my study. And Lord, we do thank you for your word. I'm always just thanking God of that 500-year period where you hid your word. And what that must have looked like to, to have people searching and hungry and starving to hear from you and your word and you hid it. God, forgive us that here today... In 2023, we have more access to your word than we know what to do with, and yet we neglect it. God, would you help us? Through your Holy Spirit, Lord, would you help us to crave a healthy diet of your word? Help us to um, adopt disciplines that are healthy. And Lord, I pray as a church here at GCF that we would be brothers and sisters who are eager to talk about your scriptures with one another. That we're eager to, to take people in under our wings and that we're eager to learn from, from those um, above us. Lord, would you humble us in this area and, and just help us to crave your word this morning. I thank you so much that we have it. What a blessing. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.